Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here, managing editor of Fightful.com. It is October 26th. We have a busy weekend ahead with uh, UFC Sao Paulo and a huge weekend next weekend. I am joined by James Lynch. James. I got to put you and Joe Holbert and David Tease and even Showdown Joe over. We've had a ton of stuff on the site the last week and a half. We're stepping it up. We've been primarily known as a wrestling website. You, your hire was one of the, the reasons why we wanted to push harder into MMA, and you all have been scoring. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Uh, lots of uh, you know cards going on right now. Uh, you know, we've got the UFC card this weekend. We've got Bellator coming up soon. We've got the UFC 217 card. So just you know, keeping busy and just pumping out that content, man. You got to. That's what you got to do. Yeah, this week is is like a quietly busy week because the Anthony Joshua fight. Then there's the UFC Sao Paulo, which myself and Joe will actually cover next Tuesday. But next weekend, my God, there's the Bellator show heavy on the amateur wrestlers, and we talk to. A bunch of them from Ryan Bader. We talked to Ed Ruth. I know that you have the the two contenders in the the women's title fight, and uh, as well as Ryan B- Bader and Vassell, because the yep. the Vassell interview is up on Fightful.com right now. Lots of stuff coming from there. I uh, can't wait. And then Sunday night, Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory. I think I'm gonna do a podcast after that, guys. So make sure you tune into that. And of course, visit Fightful.com. Use our forums. We have everything you could want there. But what what did, did you have get a chance to to be on or listen to the media call yesterday? I just read the notes. I tend to kind of avoid those just because I find that uh, you know personally I find that you're, you're not going to get too much stuff from the call just because you have to wait mm-hmm. in line. So I'm the guy who after the fact will read all the quotes and kind of get up to speed on things. But it didn't seem like I missed too much yesterday, other than of course the whole Joanna uh, you know stuff with her and Rose basically was the sort of yeah the, the, the big highlight from that. They were pissy patties on that call. They yeah. were upset. You can tell these people are like r- about ready to, to lose a significant portion of their body weight ahead of next weekend's fight. They were just unhappy. 
What did you think of them like kind of separating from GSP and Bisping? Because you know what's going to dominate the call if GSP and Bisping are on it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, you have to remember that this card is pretty stacked. I mean, you've got the you know the the Garbrand and Dillashaw fight. You have the Rose and uh, Joanna fight. So I mean, it, they, they should be showcasing some of the other fights, and you don't want it to be overshadowed by GSP. Now I know you know they're saying ticket sales aren't aren't great, but at the same time, you got to utilize all the cylinders that are on this card. And I think it was a good call by the UFC doing that. I do too. Joanna uh, kind of went at Rose. Calling her mentally weak, do you think that maybe that was the right thing to do in light of some of the things that, that Rose has spoken about in the past? Yeah, it's kind of a tough line to walk, I, I got to admit. I know a lot of people came to the defense of Rose, and I totally get that, and, and certainly I'm not trying to downplay uh, you know, mental health issues. I think it's tough because you know a lot of times you need to sell a fight, and sometimes you have to say things that may or may not cross the line. I think the intent by Joanna wasn't to make fun of those who are mentally, uh, you know, have mental health issues. I think the intent was just gamesmanship, and sometimes you, it's like comedians, you know, sometimes the intent isn't there to be mean or malicious, it's there you know, to, to get a laugh, and in this case, I think it was there to try and build up this fight, and Maybe not the best choice of words, especially with what she said, uh, you know, a couple of weeks back on the MMA hour. But uh, at the same time, it's just her trying to build up the fight. So I do sympathize for Rose, but at the same time, I, I get that it's games and shit as well. Yeah, I'm with you on the the waiting until after the media call thing. Like I hate waiting for those. <laughs> uh, David Tease covers them for us. You all can always check that out at Fightful.com. But usually, almost every time they schedule it, I have an interview or a podcast or something going on at that point. And then you always get that person at the beginning who asks like seven questions yes. in a row. And I'm like, no, no, I don't care about MMATurdTribune.com and their seven questions. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating. I just, I haven't found them that beneficial. I know some people love them personally. I just avoid them and, and get sort of the afterthought. And I'm more a fan of like the in-person press conference. Like yeah. if you can go to that, that's always good. Like the GSP Bisping one we had a couple weeks back. That was, that was perfect. You know, that, that's great. I found more use for them when I worked for a wrestling only website. And if I were to get like one or two answers in there, I could run that as my MMA story. We would run one MMA story a day. So I could just use those quotes that they gave me. Like John Jones had said that he wanted to retire at like 31 or something. And then he changed his mind. And I asked him about that on a call. I was able to run with that as my, as a full MMA story and stuff like that. But nowadays it's, it's a lot of the same things. And, UFC has these guys doing so much media that they're almost unnecessary. I will say, New Japan Pro Wrestling, I love the way that they did it. They they used the WebEx platform where they had their PR guy, Sean Graben, who's very, very good. And we would just submit questions to him. But the thing was, like, you would think that they would, like, extremely vet them and, like, not ask anything that would maybe not be favorable towards them. They asked everything. Like, anything, like... Kenny Omega possibly going to WWE, things like that. Um, I think that maybe that might be a good method for the UFC to try because Rose went off on a guy because he said, we haven't seen you be creative in your last few fights. And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm in there fighting another person. I'm creative every time I'm in there. Yeah, it is a little, a little difficult to kind of set up, set that stuff up. And obviously, the point of these is to get really good content, right? So sometimes if you have media members waiting in line and they're sort of going through the run of the mill, it's a little bit difficult. Um, you know, generally, I, I know that, uh, you know, the UFC is in favor of the media stuff just because it kind of gets things moving. But, I mean, you and I deal with Bellator a lot. I really like how the way they do sort of the individual ones where they kind of go in a rotation. Yeah. And, and that just is so much easier because you, you get your time with it. You, you know, it's a little bit shorter usually. But then, you know, you know exactly how much time you have and you can kind of, you know, maneuver 
around it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that format personally, as far as, uh, you know, getting content for an upcoming card. So Joanna, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit and we'll talk about this more next week, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Am yeah. I wrong in thinking already, this is the greatest female MMA fighter of all time? Oh, uh, you're not off at all. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. Just what she's able to do, not only in the cage. I believe she'll, if she beats Rose, won't she? She'll break Ronda Rousey's record, right? Ronda's uh, title defense record, I think, was five. I think she'll tie it. I think she'll, or she'll tie, tie it. it. She'll tie it. Right, right. So, I mean, she, a... she said that she wanted to break it and then entertain the idea of moving up to 125. But now That's she's right. kind of backpedaled on that and said, "I'll do whatever I want to do." Yeah. Well, she has that luxury, right? I mean, she's not just yeah. defeating her opponents. She's destroying them. I mean, we just saw what Jessica Andrade did to Claudia Gadea. And I mean, it just goes to show like, you know, what Joanna is capable of. If anyone wants to question, you know, the level of competition or anything, just look at what she's doing to her opponents and then look at how the opponents are doing outside of that. I mean, uh, it's kind of a musical chairs as far as, the con- as far as the contenders, because of course, you know, Claudia lost to Joanna in the rematch. She goes out there, destroys Carolina. Then Claudia loses to Jessica Andrade. So it's like, but the, but the, the, the common factor here is that, you know, jo- uh, Joanna is, is, you know, beating her opponents very decisively. And we're getting to the point where, you know, we are sort of running out of contenders, but it, it's just showing how dominant she is. And it's, it's kind of a gift to the UFC. And I'll explain why is that, you know, oftentimes when you have champions where they're not American, they're not, you know, homegrown or whatever, um, it's difficult to sort of break that barrier with fans. And Joanna is, is probably one of the few who's really been able to do that in sort of a, uh, it's hard to explain like she's she's very intense but she's also very uh, she's got this very sort of warm personality as well too where you, you kind of love hearing the quotes and and everything else so i think uh, it's it's really just a slam dunk with uh with joanna and uh, the ufc i'm sure is taking advantage of it every way they can uh her instagram is one of my favorite follows because she looks so mischievous all the time she's in these yeah. like crazy places with the same look on her face looking like she's up to something I like to me the conversation is it's either and from a technical standpoint Ronda Rousey's nowhere close but as far as accomplishments and accolades Ronda Rousey Chris Cyborg Fuji or Joanna and obviously the the talent level today is much higher than it was from even 2013 to 2015 during Ronda Rousey's reign but you look back at the people that she beat it's like Misha Tate Sarah McMahon Sarah Kaufman Alexis Davis uh, Julia Budd, who had success up until like recently, like all these, all these outs. Actually, she still is having success. She's the Bellator Women's Featherweight Champion now. Yeah. yeah. So like you see that, and I'm, I I hate that people discount her so much because of her last two fights and her lack of technical ability. But to me, and it's weird to think that Joanna, who is still very much in her prime by all indications, is just the greatest because she emerged onto the scene so quickly, but. Women's MMA is in such a place where I think that can happen. Well, here's the one thing that people don't want to talk about with Ronda Rousey, and I'll bring it up right now, is just the fact that, you know, if Ronda Rousey's fighting anyone outside those two fighters, she probably wins. I mean, if Ronda Rousey's fighting, uh, you know, most fighters that, that don't have, you know, really heavy uh, knockout power, I think she probably wins. And and that's the thing is that, you know, we t- tend to focus on these losses because stylistically, those were nightmare matchups for her. I mean, we know her weakness and, and we know the fact that, I mean, I say this all the time, the worst thing that happened to Ronda Rousey is she fell in love with her stand-up after beating Betch Cahaya. If that ever happened, maybe she's focusing more on her ground game and utilizing that 
and, and I think, you know, just her attitude in general, it's like she could have gone one way. Imagine if she would have lost to Holly and said, you know what, I'm going to change camps. I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to you know, give uh, Holly all the credit in the world. You know, just imagine how different things could be right now, right? But instead, she sort of, you know, went into hiding. And, of course, she had the, just the disaster fight with, with Nunez. So oh, yeah. I, I don't want to totally dis, display, uh, you know, uh, dis, um, sort of, uh, you know, downplay uh, Ronda's accomplishments. But Joanna right now, she's, you know, a big part of where she's at is not only her attitude, but just the fact that she's, you know, going in there and just having a great attitude in general towards fighting. Ronda Rousey now at the WWE Performance Center working out. So uh, that's something, guys, you all need to watch out for. Of course, Fightful has a bunch of exclusives up on that. Michael Bisping has a lawsuit filed against him ahead of UFC 217. There's no word. There are rumors that maybe he got arrested, but people are still working to find that out. A person in a gym uh, this past July said that Bisping allegedly choked him in a 24-hour fitness gym in Anaheim, California for taking his weights without asking during a workout and dropped the you-don't-know-who-I-am line. What what are your thoughts upon hearing this news, and what kind of a distraction do you think this may or may not be ahead of UFC 217? I don't think it's going to be a distraction. The timing's obviously interesting. If this happens in July and we're only hearing about it now, how interesting. He's got a fight coming up, mm-hmm. right? Um I don't know who to believe. I mean, you know, in this, these situations, I think TMZ initially ran that he was arrested. Now they're saying he, you know, it's kind of, there's a bit of a gray area there. So I'd like to get the facts out with all that. Is it going to affect him in this fight? You know, one thing, I'm not a big Michael Bisping fan, I'll be honest, but one thing I will give him credit for is he is pretty mentally strong. I mean, you look at some of the fights where you're supposed to lose and he came through, you know, you got to give him credit for that. And I think something like this, I, I don't think it will be a distraction. I think he knows that, you know, as far as the trash talk goes, he's, he's pretty much annihilating George St. Pierre on that front. Uh, you know, he's, he's very uh, cerebral when it comes to, you know, the trash talk and everything else. So I think that will carry on also from this. I don't think it's going to be much of a distraction and he can deflect it as much as he wants. You know, he's on, you know, you know he's on, uh, you know, Fox, uh, Fox Sports and everything. Everything. He's good when it comes to answering questions. I think he's just going to deflect and go out there and, and take care of business as usual. Where do you think this pay-per-view lands? Because we've heard about ticket sales maybe not being as hot as they'd like. The media is just ramping up. I think UFC is starting to learn that really the, the last week and a half to two weeks is when to ramp it up. Because a lot of times they were starting, they would get Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey out there three or four weeks before and even Conor McGregor said, hey, I'll fight in December, but I'm not doing any media, if that's the case. Do you think that this this media schedule is going to be permanent? Like, do you think they're going to go with this method moving forward? And how do you think pay-per-view will uh, be affected for UFC 217? I don't really think it matters what how they do their media going ahead of this. At the end of the day, if people are interested in this card, I don't think the media necessarily plays a big role in it. I think the mistake that people are uh, maybe not looking at, maybe they are looking at, is that you've got this fight in New York, which I get, big MMA market, you're going to have people coming out. But I just, I happen to wonder what, how this fight would have done if it was in the UK, you know, for Bisping, or if this was in Montreal for George. I mean, people talk about the, the bat, you know, the last Montreal card where the Bell Center's closed off. I mean, that's not happening if George St. Pierre's headlining that card. You know, I think that while you're not going to make as much money from, from a bigger market like New York, you're still going to get a better turnout and people are going to be more interested. So from a, a, an attendance standpoint, I think they kind of missed the ball on this one because I just think, um, you know, the, the people who are fans now of MMA, uh, especially the newer fans, they don't know much about George St. Pierre. I mean, he fought in 2013 um so so from that perspective i don't think it's much but i think in general i think the way you sort of build um you know fights in general i don't necessarily think is the press stuff i think it's more of you know the cards themselves and the interest and you know sort of the storylines going into it and i don't know if necessarily the media plays a huge role in that i could be wrong about that but 
I, I didn't get that sense. And, and one thing I will say quickly is just that uh, it felt to me like this was kind of rushed as far as the press tour and everything else. I mean, I asked Dana White at the presser when he was in Toronto, why didn't they do this at a bigger venue in Toronto? I mean, you have all these Canadian fans. I know people who would have flooded to the Eaton Centre if they would have done it there. I don't know if it, was, it wasn't available or what, what the deal was, but I remember when they had Connor and Aldo do their press stop in, in Toronto, the Eaton Centre was packed. It's one of the biggest sure. malls in Toronto. Why didn't they do it there? They had it at the Hockey Hall of Fame with maybe 20 people, 20 fans let in. There's a bunch of fans outside that couldn't get in. Why are you not taking advantage of that? So to me, it looks like disorganization on their part. And I think there, there could have been some tweaks made on this tour, preferably some more notice that would have made a difference. What, what did you think of the answer that he gave you there? Because I heard that. And he, <laughs> he, he really tried to just be like, hey, stop asking that, James. Like, he, he deflected. He, he deflected. Yeah, yeah. He deflected hard. Like, ha special, special circumstance. Oh, hey, who? One of those. And it's like, man, you could have you could have sold tickets to this even. Yeah. Yeah. I think the answer he gave me was, oh, it's a Hockey Hall of Fame. And I get it. Hockey Hall of Fame, beautiful venue. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been there a couple of times. You know, if you're a hockey fan and, and even if you're not, it's just a nice venue. But come on. I mean, you've got arguably the biggest star. Oh, no, not arguably the biggest star in Canada as far as, uh, you know, MMA fighters go. And you're putting them in a small venue. It just doesn't make any sense. Like they could have probably even done this at the Air Canada Center, to be honest. And fans would have come taken time off work and gone. That's how much of a star GSP is. And I think that they, they missed the boat on that especially because i had friends who were you know messaging me being like is this presser open to the public and i'm like from the initial email it said no then they tweeted out oh well you know we'll let it let selected fans and you can't do that you got to take it yeah yeah i think that's that's a rough look it's a bad look and i think that we've talked about it time and time again they they go with the hot hand and right now there's no real hot hand for toronto or canada but I think they can still make a push. I still think that Canada will show up if you put it. If you put a good card on, they, there are fight fans there. Like you mean yeah. to tell me that fifteen, sixteen thousand of those those fifty something thousand fans that were there for that big show aren't going to come for for a big pay per view? Of course they will. I mean, they did for not a big pay per view a, a couple yeah. uh, recently. So. So yeah, that's one, and I'm I'm interested to see how uh, these markets play out. One I'm really interested in is Darren Teal after his performance. I did not expect that. There was nothing in his last two fights that indicated to me that he would put away Donald Cerrone that quick. First off, I'll ask you about Donald Cerrone. Will he ever be the Donald Cerrone again that we saw last year and prior? I don't think so. I think we saw in this fight, and nothing not to take anything away from Darren Till, but I think at this point, uh, Cowboy, I think, has reached his ceiling, and I think at this point, it, it's not going to end well for him. I think that you know, the thing that we love about Cowboys is the wars that he's been in and is the fact that he's not afraid to stand and bang. But that that adds up. I mean, we've seen that with a lot of fighters. You know, Diego Sanchez comes to mind where we've seen sort of the downward spiral of his career. And I think Cowboy is slightly getting into that territory at this point. Now, look, uh, here's the thing. I mean, you know, Cowboy, oftentimes when he gets to these big fights, some it, it doesn't happen for him. And now he's getting fights where, I mean, in reality, that should have been a lot closer of a fight. And it wasn't. I mean, it was, and, and granted, Till's improved significantly since his last fight. But uh, I just don't think uh i think cowboys now in that sort of that matt brown territory where like maybe he wins you know a fight by a knockout or maybe he gets knocked out himself i mean it's i just i just think for him the, the wars add up it's, it's a young man's sport and even though Cerrone isn't that old in fight years he's he's very old so to me like you know, i watched ufc5 back in the day i thought it was a pro wrestling tape bought or rented it or whatever liked what i saw that was cool but never really followed it i was a kid 2003 or 2004 i'm shown clips of pride and Rampage is powerbombing people and these pro wrestling moves. I was like, that's cool. Would follow along with results. It wasn't until January or whenever Rampage debuted in UFC 
started to follow religiously. So when the Chuck Liddells would get knocked out and pushed out of the sport, or Rich Franklin, even though he's he's kind of a local guy and had a connection to him there, I never felt you know I never felt that like damn this is sad type of thing. I've watched Donald Cerrone's like entire like national career from WEC to UFC to fighting four or five times a year, like 35 something fights I've watched him compete in. When I saw him get hit and like turn away, that was sad to me. Like that was, that was me thinking like seeing something that I just, I was like, man, I can't believe I'm seeing this. And you know, I've seen it before out of him. Like he'll get kicked to the body and he'll double over, but that, that can happen to anybody. You get hit with the old pant shitter kick. It's going to happen. Like you're not going to be able to just walk away from that. But the, the the 2017 year for Donald Cerrone has really put that sense of concern and worry in my head, especially with him talking about his battles with sinusitis, which I've, I've had to deal with that too. Like him speaking about it, like, and I was like, oh, I have that symptom. I have that symptom. I have that symptom. Oh, go to the doctor and that's that's what's going on. And it can be really, really tough. He's got to like clear out his nose every single day. He's got a lot of battles, not to mention concussion issues and, and all that. I think we are in Matt Brown territory, and that's sad because, I mean, his last win was over Matt Brown, ironically. Yeah. One thing what, I'd like to what, point how out. How do you think just, he'll be used moving forward? Well, well, here, here's the thing, too, that no one really talks about with Cerrone is that, and I remember, I'll never forget this. Uh, it was, it was, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast before he fought Rafael Dos Anjos. And, of course, yeah. this was a, a huge opportunity for him because he had won, you know, I think five straight or six straight or something. That was when he was fighting, like, five times a year or something crazy like that. And I remember Joe asking him about, you know, his, his routine leading up to the fight. And he says, you know what? I still drink Budweiser. I don't, you know, I don't keep, take care of myself, whatever. You know, I'm still going wakeboarding, doing all these things. Like, if you don't keep care of yourself, like, to a certain degree, if you don't get the proper rest and all that, you know, cowboy, people always say oh that's just cowboy that's just you know how he does things that stuff adds up i think that's another thing that people aren't really looking at is that you know he didn't he's not exactly uh living like a like a perfect sort of uh you know healthy life uh you know leading up to things and and i think that that is also playing a role in that your body catches up to it i mean if you're putting you're putting that much stress in your body i think it, it does add up and especially the, the damage he's taken in the last couple fights um yeah he's he's definitely in that territory now i think with matt brown and it's funny because when he fought lawler i don't think we really thought that but you know it just takes one fight like this where you really sort of uh, the magnifying glass is really on there and now you wonder like hey how's he going to look in his next one we really don't know at this point it could be just like the till fight or maybe he survives but either way he's not getting to that next level i think that's one thing we can both agree on yeah maybe till's a world beater for all we know like it, yeah. it could be like that like when tony ferguson was stopping fools early on like we didn't know what he was going to become maybe teal is that here here's the thing that, that stands out in my mind you know he he has a pretty solid base pay i'm sure on his new contract but he's losing these fights but he's not losing and getting a fifty thousand dollar bonus he's not and we know how he burns through money he is very transparent about that so he's the type of guy that i think that dana white would have to force to retire if he is to retire it's, you know, but I think that if they tried that, he would probably just go fight in Bellator. Like, well, maybe, because he didn't even entertain a Bellator offer. No, I know. I know. I, just, I think, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if he would, uh, I, don't, I don't know if he'd go anywhere. I think it's either, he stays in the UFC. I think if the UFC's smart, you use him as like a brand ambassador mm -hmm. somewhere, because he's like Mr. Hey, I'm going to go have a beer with you type guy or whatever. Well, they, they held him to Forrest Griffin, and I was like, of him of all, but then I see these videos of him showing these guys what things do at the UFC Performance Institute. Yeah. And I was like, 
oh, okay, there's the difference. He takes his job seriously. Yeah. Like where Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes were kind of like mascots, Forrest Griffin is like, how can I maximize what you all are paying me? How can I make myself worth it? Yeah. No, it's true. It'd be interesting to see what happens because, you know, there's two sides of it. I see him, you know, wanting to hold on as long as he can, you know, the cowboy pride, this and that saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go down with my shield type thing. And then I see the other side of it where the UFC might say, look, you've done a lot for us. You've fought a lot for us. You've bailed us out a lot of times. We're going to give you a really good position. How would you like to be, you know, how would you like to go to, you know, I don't know, New York and, you know, go do a fan greet and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. I think that would be appealing to him as well. So hopefully, you know, he falls in one of those categories and, and you know, sort of does the right thing. Um, but I guess, you know, his, his coaches and everything, I would hope they would, you know, step in and say, hey, look, we know when it's time, it's time. You think they're going to get him to drink Modelo beer or whatever the hell it is that they got going now? I don't know. I think there might be some backlash on that. He seems kind of picky about that. He does. He really does. So Darren Teal, man, he couldn't have looked better. He could not have looked better. He's one that you got to watch now. Launched himself immediately into the UFC top 10 in that welterweight division. Now, this was something that I compared a lot to the, the lightweight division. It seemed like just a few months ago, the last time that, Tyron Woodley defended his title when, when he revealed he had a shoulder injury. It's like, okay, yeah, well, the division needs time to sort itself out. All of a sudden, man, this division is just back rolling. You got Carlos Condit ready to fight. You got uh, Dos Anjos and Lawler. You got Teal winning this big fight. Covington and Maya. Kamaru Usman's going to fight now. Like, this division is getting really hot really quick. It certainly is. And this is the, we talked about this uh, before the fight, you know, this is the best case scenario for the UFC. I mean, if Cowboy would have won, how many more fights does he have left? Really? I mean, let's be honest. He's getting he up says there. 10 to 15. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, like, does he get to that title shot? Probably not. If I'm a betting no. man, he probably never has another title shot. Yeah. Uh, Darren Till, on the other hand, you know, young guy, really good record, very entertaining style. And the key here, the key thing he is, you know, a guy that they can market in the UK, uh, and, and that's something they haven't had, you know, since, you know, basically, well, Bisping's kind of their guy right now, but I, I feel like they're, they're not really pushing that angle with him since he lives in California now, but you go before that, it was Dan Hardy. They have not had someone to really sort of say, hey, this is our guy. They tried that kind of with Ross Pointon, or sorry, uh, yeah, Ross, um, yeah, Ross Pointon. I'm getting him mixed up with the, the guy that was on Bisping season. Who's the other guy? Ross um, Pearson? Uh, yeah, Pearson's the one I meant. Uh, yes, Ross Pearson's the guy I meant. Ross Points Point was the guy who was on Bisping's list. He's not the ultimate fighter. How I got that mixed up, no idea. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's what I think they wanted with Ross Pearson, and that hasn't gone according to plan. So now you have Darren Till, who I think could sort of be that guy. Is he, you know, he was talking a lot of crap, you know, leading up to this fight. That's good too. I think he's a guy that you know you could put on a, on a you know a regional show, uh, you know, kind of like a like a lower tier show, but but he's sort of the attraction and then the guy that you build a card around now in the UK. And I think this is a good scenario for the UFC, especially trying to build stars overseas. So as I as I look through this this welterweight division, also Santiago Ponzinibbio and Mike Perry, Mike Perry's run in after that was maybe my favorite thing because the camera just pans over. And Mike Perry is on the, the apron, just stalking, just trying to get into the cage. That was a moment. That was a very cool moment. And all I did, I Google or I Twitter searched Mike Perry and just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mentions on a show in the middle of the afternoon on Fight Pass. Yeah. That did not happen a lot. 
that no, there's not why, that kind why of thought they very often. That? Why, why wouldn't they, you know, why, why wouldn't they rebook that fight? I mean, Ponzinibbio, you know, all the power to him. He's done a great job, but you have this storyline, build it up. Uh, you know, this fight might not happen now because Till might fight someone else. He might lose. I mean, you, you got to take advantage of these things. And like you mentioned, yeah. you did the Google search. I mean, people know about it. Take advantage of it. I, I think they got to, I know people are going to say that's too much like pro wrestling, but that's you, the, the people get invested in fights when there's storylines. And, and I think that's sort of something that the UFC's kind of missed the boat on. And, the, and that fights in Winnipeg of all places. It's like, I love Winnipeg. I love Canada, but come on. Like they, they got to do something with Mike Perry here. Well, hey, to compare it to pro wrestling last Friday, the WWE had a ton of people go down with the mumps and they yeah. replaced their guys with people who were perhaps more interesting immediate buzz like i had never experienced before uh, in in a breaking news fashion for a replacement on a show so it can work i think the benefit of this is if mike perry wins loses draws no contest people are still going to want to fight watch him fight darren till because he's mike perry he is i think the new donald cerrone of this division like maybe to a little more extreme of a degree uh, we are asked by somebody, is there any scenario in which Donald Cerrone could get a title shot again? I, I think, yeah, if somebody misses weight, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. about it. Yeah, that's, that's, he'll, that's, he'll that's the only one. Yeah, because, I mean, the welterweight division's too stacked. He's not going back down to 55. I mean, he made it pretty apparent there. And plus 55 is already a logjam as it is. So I, it would only be that scenario. I don't think there's any other way at this point. I mean, he's lost, he's lost three in a row. That's a, that's a career high for him. I don't think he's ever lost three straight fights in his career. So he's really got to get a win. Yeah, I think that if if they went and like oh say say Woodley was facing Wonder Boy and Wonder Boy missed weight and couldn't fight for the title or got sick, they would be like okay Donald. But you know they they have a couple of other options in that regard too. Dos Anjos doesn't have to cut a lot of weight. Uh, Alex Oliveira doesn't have to cut a lot of weight. This welterweight division is being like I don't want to say overtaken, but there's a lot of former 155ers there that could could really benefit from a situation like that occurring. But I love the way this division is coming along where it looked like there was – where it looked like it was going to be slim pickings for a while. So yeah. that was a big one for the UFC, Darren Teal. I had a friend message me, and he said, why haven't I heard about Darren Teal until now? And this is the night before the fight. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I said, to be honest, I barely heard about him, and it's my job to hear about him. Like, it's he's one, but uh, he's, 
he said, I'm watching his early fights. He's so humble. And I was like, wait till you get to his later ones because he's not anymore. <laughs> Changes his attitude real quick. Um, I, I do these uh, pros pick videos where I talk to fighters and yeah. I, ask them, I ask them their picks on upcoming fights. And you get a variety of answers. But I was surprised with how many fighters didn't know who he was. Um, and, and they're just like, you know, I don't really know much about him. I'm going I'm to go with Cowboy just because, you know, he's Cowboy, right? But, I mean, I found that interesting. And, and it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes the UFC, uh, when, they, when they put a fighter in the main event, they're kind of hoping that people will go back and catch up, I think, in a lot of cases. Like, we've got Marcin Tybura fighting Werdum. I, I, I literally am going to have a tough time making this video because 90% of the guys I talk to have yeah. no idea about Marcin Tybura or they get him mixed up with another heavyweight fighter. I mean, it's, it's just that confusing. So it's, it's, it's a struggle for the UFC, and, and I think they just they kind of throw these guys in there sometimes just to hope for the best. And like you said with Till, it worked out for the best. And Tybura might win that fight. Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But it's heavyweight MMA to begin with. But yeah. that's, that's what I love about it. It's so chaotic. Um, so UFC has a guy in Darren Teal that they can that can help with Europe. That's got to be a positive. They've got a few people. They've got Joanna, who they seem to be just keen on helping with the Polish New York market, and she's very cognizant of that. She's very aware of that. You have Conor McGregor, but will he ever really fight in Europe? That's, I mean, gain Europe interest, sure, but they're going to fly over to watch him fight by by all indications. Are there anybody else that is there anybody else that you look at besides maybe Habib that can really capture like Russia or any, any European market because we saw Bellator attack this heavily but they yeah. never really capitalized on what they had I'm not sure. I think it's really difficult in this day and age to build a superstar unless you're not unless you're a self promoter like a Conor McGregor or someone like that. Um, Khabib apparently, from what I hear, uh, my good friend Kareem Zidane, who does a lot of investigation uh, on uh, Russian on Russian MMA, uh, he seems to think Khabib will never fight in Russia. Um, I think it has to do with the payday. I think that he'll end up making more money if he fights in the states. So I think yeah. that's something to keep an eye on because it's he does have a huge following. I mean, you you I'm sure you've seen it as well. You know, anytime you do, anytime I even do like an interview with a Russian fighter, the, the hits on the videos are just insane because. Yeah. Yes. You just have a huge uh, fan base. Um, I thought Kevin Lee could have been that guy if he would have won. Um, you know, the, the, he's still young. There's still a possibility of him sort of being uh, the next big thing because I feel like people either really love Kevin Lee or they hate him, which is a good mm -hmm. thing. Um, Max Holloway, I think there's potential there. He's, he's kind of too much of a nice guy, but, you know, you do a show in Hawaii and, and we'll see sort of the superstardom that he can build there. You know, maybe something similar to like a BJ Penn and what he sort of accomplished in Hawaii as well. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, I think, you know, he's still relatively young, but the thing with Garbrandt is, man, he came off so bad on the ultimate fighter. I really think that, you know, that was, a, that was supposed to be the show that was going to propel this rivalry up. And like mm -hmm. people don't even, people are kind of over it with the injury and everything, you know, and, and I think Garbrandt just, you know, he's not, he hasn't really captured people because the one thing they don't even focus on is he's from Ohio, you know, and how many, yeah. you know, uh, you know, UFC, like Cipe is probably the only one, uh, you know, that you can kind of pin from there. That's really sort of proud of where he's from, you know, Garbrandt for most people, probably most people probably think he's from California. So I think that uh, it's, it's going to be tough going forward, but I think the key is the self-promotion. I think they need someone that's going to do it themselves because for all accounts, and we've talked about this with even Demetrius Johnson, the UFC just does a very bad job of marketing. I think they're going to keep going to Poland, and if they wanted to, to do a big show there, I think, well, if Tybura wins, they're going to have maybe the star power to do it. If they went over there, did a, I mean, a big show, Joanna, Carolina, Tibura, um, gosh, I, I feel Jotko. They, they got, they got, they have seven. Like, it's it's kind of surprising to see how many people from Poland they have on their roster. UFC's new te uh, next TV platform. This is going to be very, very telling and very interesting. And 
like WWE's is coming up, UFC's is coming up. Uh, Bellator, you don't really got to worry about it because Viacom owns them. Where do you think this is going? What options do they have? Like this is this is good stuff because the the world was completely different when they signed the Fox deal. Yeah, I, I think that you know a lot of people are saying that they might just go with like a like a streaming service. I, I think if you ask most MMA fans, uh, they would love a you know WWE Network type model where you, you know you pay the, the fee a month, but you get the pay per views in there. I think we're we're in a day and age where people you know they they want to they'll they'll pay the money if it's reasonable. I mean to expect people to exactly. pay sixty dollars for pay per view is ridiculous. I mean paper the pay per view model, in my opinion, is just not the way to go. The subscription based model, like with Flow Combat and everything else, uh, you know Flow Sports, I should say, that seems to be the way to go where you get you know a bundle of things. Uh, all at once and you're actually getting value for what you're paying for. Uh, but with that said, I could kind of see the UFC, you know, trying to hold on to that paper pay-per-view model as much as they can because they make a lot of money from it. So they stay with that and I think they probably end up with Fox. I mean, there's some talks about maybe ESPN. We're seeing ESPN kind of break more news as of late, it seems like with the UFC, but I have a feeling they're going to go back with Fox because I think Fox needs them just as much as the UFC needs them. So when WWE started out, the original plan was everything on there except for Royal Rumble WrestleMania. I think UFC could really make that work. They could say, oh, 10 to 12 pay-per-views a year on UFC Fight Pass. And then, like, when Conor McGregor fights, that's not included in the package. People are still paying 60 bucks to watch him fight. So they reserve two or three big giant events. I think that will make way more people subscribe to Fight Pass. Now, really, we, we've learned that the bottom line for UFC fans has shifted from about 225, 225,000 way down to about 100,000. Like, that's the bottom line you get on that now. Now you have to question, okay, will the amount that we lose out on make up for it? And WWE is at the point where it's almost like break even on that situation, but um, they still have very limited pay-per-view. But then you you – get the benefit of having a Conor McGregor and all that stuff. UFC still makes millions off of Mighty Mouse pay-per-views. Yeah. So, so that's, that's one thing that you got to remember. Like people are like, man, these numbers are so bad. No Baywatch on pay-per-view in the nineties was bad. That lost money. Uh, UFC when Mighty Mouse fights still does a lot of money. That's, that's kind of wild for me to even imagine. Yeah, and that's why they'll stick with the pay-per-view model as much as they can. And I, I could see them just being greedy and keeping things as they, as they are. And yes, they'll lose fans. But again, if they're if they're if they're making money off this, I mean, they're going to continue to do it. And it's just it, it sucks for the fans because you know we've seen in a million different ways, you know, with what's happening with ESPN and everything, people are changing the way they're consuming content and they, they want to be able to customize what they can get and they want to have value for what they're getting. And so all these things sort of add up and, and come together. So I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think it is sort of one of the biggest decisions we'll, we'll see this year as far as uh, what happens with the UFC. Do you think UFC is going to get into the boxing business? Yeah, I saw that today. I, I don't know. Um, Maybe, maybe they try that route. Uh, you they know, already I, had those I, neat Zufa boxing shirts. I know. I was there, I, I was there when they they had the first uh, the, the when Dana was wearing the t shirt at the Toronto presser. Um, it was it was interesting to see that. I don't know. Is there is there really? I mean, boxing. It's it's just there. There. Uh, I don't know if the interest is there. I mean, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that you have. Uh, you know, a sport that's really struggling to sort of build stars. Um, you know, we have this great fight between uh, Triple G and uh, Canelo Alvarez, which ends in a draw. I think people are very sour about the boxing industry as a whole. So I don't know. Do they do it? Maybe. But uh, I don't know. You know, are, is, is there going to be a lot of interest? I'm not sure. It seems like MMA fans have sh- a short attention span. Yeah. And I could see them watching a boxing fight and being like, this is boring. I have no interest. I mean, I saw people saying that about the Mayweather fight. 
So as I think about this and as we talk about this, I'm wondering, I'm like, you know, could the UFC put their own spin on it? Have it in like the small cage as opposed to a ring. Have it where, you know, modify the rules a little bit. Like have UFC fighters who you know are going to be engaged in a stand-up battle box and throw those on an MMA card. Like I wonder how or if, I mean, at one point they wanted a moat. So, I mean, this sport has had far crazier things. We've seen tag team MMA. Now, granted, this isn't at the top level of MMA or anything. But we've seen tag team MMA. We've seen X-Arm, for the love of God. Do you remember that crap? Uh, rings a bell, but I don't think I've ever actually seen it. I, I remember the arm wrestling where they could punch each other. Oh, and okay. arm bars and stuff, and the dude broke his arm off. Okay. okay. Well, not yeah. off. Broke it. But we've seen crazy stuff happen. And this doesn't sound that crazy to me in comparison. No, no. I mean, and Yama pit fighting, let's not forget that. Oh, as yeah. Well. Um, I mean, there, there's been some really wild ideas. Um, yeah, it's possible. I mean, at this point, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're probably a little bit concerned about the numbers and, and maybe they want to try something different and spice it up. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe they do like, a, remember they had, what was it? The, was it the Contenders? Uh, the Contender was the old boxing reality show they had. They were trying mm-hmm. to build like the next superstar. Maybe they try something like that. I don't know. I think it's, it's I, I from what I see from a lot of even hardcore fans sometimes, I think a lot of them find boxing boring. And I think mm-hmm. that's gonna be something that's gonna work against them. I mean, personally, I'm I would consider myself a casual boxing fan. I, I find it entertaining, but I'm I don't think everyone's like me, and I, I think it, it might be a tougher sell, but we'll see what happens. As Stone Osborne says in the live chat, is the UFC looking to do something with Eddie Bravo and his combat jujitsu? Well, it is on Fight Pass okay. and yeah. I think they could make that an attraction too. I think that if they would have had Ronda Rousey grapple Brian Caraway, people <laughs> would have watched it. Now I don't, you know, Brian Caraway probably would have held her down forever, but people would have watched that. Like if it were like an international fight week exhibition thing, and you put it on Fight Pass, people are going to tune into that. Like they're embrace it, embrace the weird stuff, like. Have an all-star weekend type of thing where you have a three-point shootout and stuff like that. Like, I, I like that idea. I think that that special things like that can uh, add fans. It's, it can, like, maybe. So, what what happens if Ronda Rousey pulls an armbar out of nowhere and taps him out? That's going to be on Yahoo News the next day yeah. or that day. It's going to be all over the place. Just do something fun and different. Yeah, like I wish that I'm going to kind of go off uh, off on a little bit of uh, kind of off the road here when I say this, sure. but I always wish that uh, I always said years ago when Bellator was sort of, you know, in cahoots with MTV, they should have put those Bellator fighters on the challenge. How cool would have that been? That like, would have been a like, great idea. You know, Pat Curran uh, fighting, you know, Johnny Bananas on some challenge or something like granted, there's the injury risk there. But I know like Michelle Watterson, for example, is going to be on the challenge. I'm going to yeah. watch that because I think that's cool to see how she does against, you know, these uh, these these reality TV stars. I, I, I like stuff like that. Oh, you know what I miss? Pros versus Joes. Oh, yes, of course. That I was when, okay, so Spike TV is going to rebrand at the end of the year. And before, you know, I got got a heavy workload, but I'm trying to work on a long form, slowly but surely, Spike TV retrospective about the original days of it and some of the programming that they had. Pros versus Joes was so great because you saw these people just get dominated that thought that they could just hop off the couch and compete with, Stars. I remember Bo Jackson <laughs> walking up, and he said he was like, "I haven't picked up a ball bat in five years," and he had a three hundred and seventy-five foot home run right after that. <laughs> and I was like, "Man, you just you see it." And you would have Randy Couture wrestling people, and you would have 
Bob Sapp in there running football drills and then punching somebody in the face. Like, it was so cool. I think things like that could raise a profile, maybe show people a side of these guys that they haven't seen before. Uh, I think that's that's uh, a cool idea. But, yeah, I love the, the idea of the challenge. I used to watch that back in the day, and I loved that show. I thought that was great. Yeah. No, it was, it's, it's a great show. And like I said, I think the Michelle Watterson on there, I don't even know how the UFC let her do that because like, isn't it kind of like going against the enemy because Viacom owns MTV yeah. and it seems like a bit of a weird red tape there because CM Punk was on there and I watched that one just because I was curious yeah. about it. And how did he kind of, do? Uh, he beat uh, that Johnny Bananas guy on one of the episodes in like oh, an wow. actual challenge. And then I think he got eliminated later, but uh, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting to see him on there. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's kind of got a bit of a rough exterior. So, uh, you know, yes, he didn't he get does. along with some of the people there. And I thought that was kind of funny. Fun fact. I once discussed on a podcast that he didn't have me blocked on Twitter. And I was surprised the day after that he blocked me. Oh, wow. So I don't know if somebody like tipped him off. I, I really doubt CM Punk was sitting there like, Gotta gotta watch the Sean Ross Sat podcast today, but um the next day that was that was kind of awkward. Bellator last weekend. It did uh four hundred and seventy-six thousand viewers. Gegar Musashi beat Alexander Shlomenko. Do you think that was the right call? Musashi beating Shlomenko because it was as divisive as any fight I've seen. I think Shlomenko won the fight, and and this is coming from one of the biggest, you know, Gegard Mousasi supporters dating back to the Pride days. Um, but uh, I think that it wasn't a robbery, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like that yeah. second round, it depends. I'd have to sort of watch it again. I think I've watched it twice now. I think I scored it for uh, Shlomenko at the time. Um, Jimmy Smith was very pro Shlomenko as well throughout the broadcast, so that's something to keep in mind too. Maybe just watch it without the commentary. Um, it, it's it's tough to say really because I think. Definitely Musasi won the first round. That second round's a question mark. And Shlomenko clearly won the third. Um, they're lucky that wasn't a five-round fight because Musasi would have lost for sure. Because he that, that yes. eye, I mean, you could have even argued that they could have stopped the fight right when his eye was swell. Because, I, you know, he says he can see. But he also, if you saw that, I don't know if you saw that clip at the end where he's trying to hold the cage and he falls down a bit because yeah. his eyesight was off. Um, so, so you know, that that's kind of dangerous. Um yeah, I think I think Shlomenko won the fight. That you know that uh, you know Musasi sort of got lucky because now they can sell it as you know he he probably can fight for the title just because they can say he won regardless of what happened and everything else. That's that's sort of what they want anyways. And you know I said this on Twitter and I got a lot of people uh, you know kind of giving me the backlash, but I said hey let's see Musasi when he's got two eyes. Now I'm not taking anything away from Slamenko by saying that, but I feel like when he's has this sort of disadvantage from the get go, we're not seeing his true skill set because I saw people saying he's washed up, he's done. That wasn't the case. I mean, you, you, yeah. you hit someone right in the eye. I mean, it's, you're really not going to see the, the true skill set. So let's see how he does in the second fight. Heather Hardy derailed a bit. Uh, she did not look like a high-level boxer in this fight. No. She got hit a lot, and I've made the comparisons to Rousey. I didn't necessarily mean in the ring. I meant as a personality. And 35 years old, you have to wonder her future in this sport because she's competed 20 times as a boxer. Who knows how many more times in the gym she's went hard. I know that she's done a lot of kickboxing in her her past as well. She got derailed, but man, uh, Christina looked really good. Yeah, she did. And they got to take advantage of this. You know, I, one of the things I was surprised was when Zach Freeman beat uh, Pico, they didn't rebook him right away and really sort of build the hype. Because I think people are even forgetting he's fighting next week. Why, why are they not 
capitalizing on this. The focus on that whole card was Pico's a bust, whatever. Why not talk about this guy Freeman, the prospect killer? We're going to throw him in there with someone else. They, they haven't done that. I don't get it. Uh, Freeman's a great guy. I'm sure you've interviewed him. He's, he's just a you know, great personality. Get him in there and hype him. But same sort of thing with Christina Williams. And here's the thing too, Sean. They've got this vacant flyweight title fight coming up between Dakota and uh, Lima Lee McFarlane. Outside of them, you've got the Valerie Letourneau fight against, uh, I believe it's Kate Jackson, or I might be butchering that, but she's uh, that's sort of, I think, the winner of that will fight next. But after that, it's slim pickings. Get Christina Williams in there. I know she's only got the one pro fight, but let's get her fights as soon as possible and build her up and call her the Heather Hardy killer. And vice versa for Hardy, people are saying, oh, another bad night for Bellator. Well, look, Heather Hardy, she may be old, but that flyweight division is so thin. She gets a win or two. She's right back in the driver's seat. And I think that's what they have to do to generate interest. So something I posed to Showdown Joe on Saturday. I wonder what Christina Williams' contract status is because you know how Bellator does sometimes. They'll sign these people to these one-fight deals. And they'll overperform. If I'm the UFC, I snatch her up because she looked real good. Like, not just from a she's beating Heather Hardy's perspective, like from a technical perspective. Her footwork looked good. Her punches looked good. Her kicks looked good. I'd be like, go ahead and grab you right now. Maybe we'll throw you on another season of the Ultimate Fighter or Dana White's Contender Series or anything. Like, she looked real good. Like, for a 1 0 fighter, I was very impressed. Well, she had a great game plan and she stuck to it. And uh, I hate to you know, take listeners away from our site, but I did have an interview with her on Flow Combat. If you go check it out, uh, she actually signed to a three-fight deal. So she's okay. going to be with Bellator for a little bit longer. And uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing here is just you know, capitalize on this. You know, A lot of eyeballs were saw, seen on that. She talked about the fact that a lot of she got a lot of feedback on social media. People are really talking about her. She was on Luke Thomas's show on Monday. So, I mean, people are taking notice and, and you know, they, they have to gain, you know, take momentum from this and sort of build on it. The same way that I think they made a mistake with Rory beating Paul Daly, why didn't they rebook him right away for a fight and really keep that hype train going? They, they've got, I liked how they space out the cards, but they, they have to find a way to really, uh, you know, when they have these moments where fighters have a good performance, really sort of keep that momentum going as much as they can. Neiman Gracie, is it time for him to take a step up in competition? Uh, Busha, I thought, I thought that I really liked that fight. It was entertaining. He didn't just lay down. He fought uh, Gracie while his, his, he was backpacked the entire time. Uh, their entire first round, and then ultimately halfway through the second round, kind of had to had to give in. Seven and zero is Neiman Gracie. He's twenty eight years old. He is five and zero in the UFC. He had the exposure of being on Bellator NYC. What do you think is next for him, and what kind of ceiling do you see for this guy? I see a pretty big ceiling. And I think if they're smart, they give him a step up and really start, you know, taking this train and, and sort of building up the prospect train uh, with him. Similar with Jordan Young with, you know, his win, uh, you know, a couple of weeks back, or was it last week? I can't remember, but he, you know, Jordan Young's another guy who's undefeated and they, they have these prospects, but I don't know why they sort of bury them on the other cards, you know, try and put them in, in bigger fights and really sort of build up the name value um, as far as, uh, you know, what, what they have to offer. Cause you know, Bellator hasn't done a great job of building prospects, but they do have these guys that, you know, like a Carrington Banks, who's, you know, really amassed like a good record and I think in Gracie's case give him a veteran give him someone that we're going to remember because you know the Zach Boucher fight who by the way was a late replacement uh, Boucher actually earned the contract uh, they have a thing with Shamrock FC, which is a Missouri-based organization. If, if you win the title, you get a Bellator contract. So that's how Busha actually got that fight with, uh, with Gracie. So they, they have to take advantage of, of that. And, uh, you know, again, with, with Gracie and, and just give him a bigger name and then ride that out. We got a Gracie. He's the next generation of Gracies. 
he's fighting, I don't know who, uh, you know, Brendan Ward or something like, you know, give him like a, like a bigger name and then get him towards the title. Cause they need contenders. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of fans are kind of getting tired of the whole musical chairs with a lot of these fights. Um, you know, where we're seeing guys that are rematching and trilogy fights and everything else. With the right opponents, I think that Neiman Gracie can be like the next generation's Damian Maya because we know his grappling is at a world level like that. And I always compare Damian Maya to knuckleballer in baseball. I think he'll be able to do this until he's like 45 if he can avoid getting hit consistently because I don't know that his his skill is going to decline that much, his, his bread and butter. But that's one to watch out for. Also, quietly uh, – Kimbo Slice Jr. added to a show in Ireland, in Dublin, that that lost, uh, gosh, who was it? James Gallagher? It lost yeah. him. So A.J. McKee and Brian Moore are headlining it. But I, I am most interested to watch Kimbo Slice Jr. because despite his last loss, I've seen a lot of things in his first two pro fights and his amateur fight that I thought looked really, really good for somebody at his experience level. Yeah, I, and again, I don't know why they're putting these guys in certain markets. Um, you know, like get him in California or whenever they have a show there. You know, tr- sort of build up, build a name up for him, trying to trying to create a fan base because it really does him no favors. Like, there's I, I don't imagine there's fans in you know uh, you know overseas that are yeah. really you know uh, really wanting to see Baby Slice uh, compete. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you though. I think there's there's a good ceiling here. The thing they don't want to do is what they've done with Anthony Taylor, which is uh, you know they have this prospect and they just give him hard fights and then he has this like two and four record. Like they, mm-hmm. they got it so, slowly build them up not like what they're doing with michael page but you know something where it's at least uh you know the fair amount of competition till they get to that next level and take advantage of that last name because we know that people will show up um you know especially if they have sort of a brand name uh, like like baby slice does i think and this is just me speculating they lost their 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 meal ticket on that show james gallagher which wasn't much of one it was just he was a dublin guy and they had to replace him with aj mckee and he's just always willing to fight baby slices. Like he'll fight anybody late notice, like a couple weeks. He's he, I don't know that he's turned down much of anything. A particularly interesting aspect of this fight is this third straight fight in Bellator that has been at 165 pounds catch weight. What do you think that says about that situation? Kimbo slice junior and Bellator being willing to do that. I think it says that he's taking these short notice fights and they want to make sure he makes weight. And I think that's why you see a lot of catch weight fights. I know, uh, like I mentioned Jordan Young earlier, his last fight was, was a catch weight of, I think, 195. And it's just because they couldn't find him an opponent. And Alex Hooven, who he fought, uh, was a guy that uh, normally fought at 205. So I think they wanted something where, look, we got to get him a fight, but we're going to have to do it at something that's going to make sense for both guys. And, you know, Jordan Young agreed to the 195. So I think, I think that's the situation. And I think, you know, once they, they give, uh, you know, Baby Slice a fight where it's, you know, concrete and it's not short notice, I think we'll see him pick a weight class whether that's welterweight or a lightweight also in speaking to kimbo slice jr in an interview earlier this year he gets it he really gets it and uh dare i say that he is already a more technically refined fighter than his father was in mma because even though he got caught in that submission i in uh last november like i said there were a lot of things i saw and i was like oh, I didn't expect that out of the son of Kimbo Slice. Like, at any stage, much less in his first amateur fight, his first pro fight, and his first fight coming off of a loss. If you were to ask many people, they would think, you know, just, okay, he's going to lose, and then he's probably going to leave MMA because it didn't work out for him. No, I think a lot of what he's done has stood out to me. And uh, shout-outs to him for that. uh, I'm being told that UFC is being offered more 
for their new TV deal than their last TV deal from the offers that they've got in. That's good news. That's very good news. It's good news for a lot of people. It's good news for WWE. It's good for UFC. Um, lots of deals coming up. The, the combat sports and wrestling landscape is going to be like, there's going to be a lot of news coming out of that. Uh, anything else happening this week? Tell them about the interviews you have coming up on Fightful.com. Yeah, so I, I talked to Emily Ducote, who um, is going to be, be rematching Alima Lee McFarland for the um, uh, fly, flyweight title this time. It's a vacant flyweight title fight, and uh, you know she's just sort of relishing the fact that she's sort of the underdog going into this one. All the focus is on Alima Lay, and I talked to Alima Lay as well. And uh, you know this is a fight that I think is kind of flying under the radar, but it's going to make history because we forget that they're going to crown a champion, a flyweight champion, before the UFC will. So that's going to happen next week. And uh, you know, interesting that they fought last year, but I think uh, you know Dakota's uh, you know won a couple fights since then. I think uh, she's looked she's looked good. Um, I think they wanted Valerie Letourneau to fight for the title, but of course Letourneau was injured in her last fight, so she's now fighting. Uh, I believe it's Kate Jackson again. I might be wrong on that, but uh, don't sue me. Uh, she's uh, she's got a fight coming up, so they didn't give her that fight. Um, so it's a fun fight, and you know I, I think uh, you know it'll be tough to say sort of what happens in the rematch because Emily I think has improved, um, but but yeah, sort of the main thing there is just um, yeah I think that they're they you know they know they're going to make history, and I think both girls really have worked their way up to this point. Um, you know Emily's you know relatively young, uh, you know she's still coming up. Someone sort of a, a bit of an unknown, and Alima I mean she's you know got all that fame coming into Bellator for you know beating up the soccer mom, and now she's really looked like a legit talent. I mean she's undefeated in Bellator, and uh, you know she markets herself really well. And you know what the cool thing is I don't know if you had a chance to talk to her she's just got yes, a really she's got a really good personality and actually uh for for our listeners if you watch at the end of my interview um she had she had a quote on her twitter about uh, how she's had a tough time dating and we get into that mm -hmm. and we sort of talk about uh, some of her dating woes and uh she's cool like she's uh, a really fan-friendly fighter and she genuinely likes doing media and i think if bellator is smart again they, they really sort of you know market the hell out of her and do a show in hawaii maybe because that's where she's from originally and uh really sort of push that because she's uh she's she's awesome and i think someone that uh bellator has kind of got lucky with because she's been uh you know very talented and very uh, successful for them this is why i often tell women who are in college and they play sports and they they want to continue being they or they want to be a pro athlete but you know there are only so many spots in the WNBA. There are only so many spots as a pro beach volleyball player or in the Olympics or something. MMA is a real opportunity for women who have an athletic background, an athletic foundation. McFarlane was an amateur fighter three and a half years ago, and now she is here at like near the top of Bellator. That's awesome. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo wasn't a pro fighter a year and a half ago. Like, and she's a, a ranked fighter in the UFC. So we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see athletes cross over more. I, I, I compare this time, well, really the post-Rousey time, a lot to almost the, the post-Ultimate Fighter time. That was the time when a lot of athletes were like, oh, MMA is a possibility. The pay has never been quite there to that degree, but I think we're going to see that a lot more. Guys, Follow us at Fightful Online on Twitter to get all of our news, at Fightful MMA, at Fightful Wrestle, and of course, subscribe to us, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, all over the place. I've got uh, an interview with Diamond Dallas Page. Our full interview is going to release tomorrow. Lots of good stuff there. I know James is a, a user of DDP Yoga. He's a great dude. A yeah, th that that's awesome. I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm a big fan of uh, what he's doing in the whole yoga thing. So I, I'm I'm excited for that. Sean getting the goods on, on Fightful. I like it. Yeah, we we filmed it for a list in your boy segment. Well, several segments. 
and we got like eight or nine out of it. And there's still like so much stuff that we didn't even use. I was like, I'm going to release the whole 45 minute shoot interview. And I'm going to start doing that with all of our filmings that we do, uh, hopefully, but guys, check it out. Showdown Joe talked to Dustin Poirier. We have articles coming from that. And of course, all the stuff from James Lynch, uh, Joe Holbert talked to Linton Vassell. That's up on the site now, but guys, uh, like I said, fightful.com, use those forums, talk to us until next time we're out. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.